Anticipating the Workforce of the Future. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Alexandra Levitt, human capital author and analyst and managing partner at People Results. Welcome, Alexandra. Thanks for having me, Tanya. It's great to be here. Give us a quick summary of your professional uh, background and writing background. It's a great question because I'm sure that like many of your listeners uh, who got started in technology, I did as well. And actually was working for a company at the time known as Computer Associates, which became CA. And in that role, I struggled a lot making the transition from being a high achieving college student to being a professional. And after a couple of years of spinning my wheels, I wrote a book called They Don't Teach Corporate in College. And that book launched a career as a 20-something at the time, which I was, a business and workplace author, speaker, and consultant. And as the years went by, as I grew older, I started getting a little bit broader in my focus. And so I started writing and commenting a lot on the future of work. And in fact, started talking about the future of work about 10 to 12 years ago and really found a passion for that. It, it kind of combined my interest in psychology and people with my interest in technology. And so at that intersection, I found my current focus. And that's how I came to be talking to you all today. Your most recent book is Humanity Works, Merging Technologies and People for the Workforce in the Future. Uh, I should say of the future. What research did you conduct to form the foundation of the book? Well, really with the book, Tanya, with this Humanity Works book, I've been wanting to write a book on the future of work for a while, but I didn't just want to write a book to have one. I wanted it to give people some really concrete guidance for what they could do tomorrow. And this was prior to the pandemic. The book was issued um, about a year and a half ago. And so we didn't have any of these external circumstances that we're dealing with now, but we still were facing the rise of automation, the rise of machine learning, and all of the factors that will lead humans to need to change how they do their jobs and organizations change how they hire and retain and manage people um, going forward. So I did the research in several ways. There are a couple of proprietary research studies that I've done with organizations like um, Deloitte, DeVry's Career Advisory Board, uh, where we, we look at some of the issues around the skills gap, around what people are going to need to, need to learn to be prepared for the workforce of the future, what hiring managers are expecting. So a lot of that research is incorporated in the book, but also I wanted to draw from my experience working with organizations. I've worked with a variety of Fortune 500 organizations as they've attempted digital transformation and how that impacts their workforces, how that impacts their human capital strategies and wanted to share the knowledge and really just bring it together in a volume where regardless of what your question is about the future of work, you've got a pretty comprehensive view. Um, the other thing I like about the book that I put together in particular is that if you just wanna read the table of contents, that's all you have to do. The table of contents is very detailed. It tells you exactly what you're gonna get and you can just kind of skim through the rest of it according to what's interesting to you. And so I wanted to put something out there that was just very concrete, very easy to navigate, because people just don't really have time and a lot of times the inclination to read a book that's 250 pages. So what do you need? What information will be most useful to you? And how can you get it as quickly as possible? You mentioned the pandemic and that's all we pretty much talk about in context, everything that we discussed. Mm -hmm. how, how has it caused you to rethink any of your models or predictions? Well, I'll tell you, a lot of people ask me that question, Tanya, and what I would have to say is that it doesn't make me change my recommendations. It doesn't make me change um, the 
and we futurists are not privy to like a crystal ball. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. All we can do is make an educated guess about what's likely to cause a disruption. And I would say that I've been doing that for about 10 years and nothing is really that much of a shock. I've definitely been part of simulations that, that featured pandemics and have seen some of the exact circumstances play out. What I will say though, is that it has accelerated a lot of the trends we were already talking about, such as the rise of the contract workforce, the rise of internal talent pools and job sharing and being a part of a virtual team and having more operations be remote. I mean, these are things that we were talking about years ago, but now they've become a necessity. So companies that might've dragged their feet on some of these trends a little bit before, with the pandemic, they've had no choice. So I would just say that um, pay attention to what's coming down next because by no means is COVID-19 our last disruption. This is only going to be the first of I think many turbulent years. And so if we're not up to speed with things like digital transformation and the virtual workforce, if we're not up to speed by having quick and agile policies that'll allow us to integrate new technologies and move people around, now is really the time to be doing that. The biggest mistake that I see companies making is thinking, this is just two weeks or two months, we'll wait it out, we'll survive to tomorrow, and then we'll figure out what to do when tomorrow comes. Well, now we're in the seventh month, or we're entering the eighth month of this pandemic, and there's no vaccine in sight necessarily, so I think we're looking at at least a lot of 2021 being in the same situation. And so I think we need to use that as a learning experience and realize that we need to change the way we do things permanently, not just so we can survive to tomorrow, but so that we can be prepared for inevitably what's going to come next. Because I think the old way is, is gone and people like to say the new normal and that's not my favorite expression, but we have to be prepared for constant evolution and constant change. And I think that our strategies need to reflect that. Okay. So what you mentioned what's coming next what what is what is it that you see coming at us in the next few years well primarily i think it's climate change and climate change events i think we see the the wildfires in california i think we're going to see a lot more physical disruptions where servers are going down because the area is untenable <laughs> for buildings to survive uh, people have to be moved around because it's no longer safe to live in a particular geographic location we see people moving around for, for various reasons involving health, involving safety. And so I, I primarily see us having to adapt to things like that. As to whether or not there'll be another pandemic, who knows? But I think the point is, is that we have to be prepared that having a long-term stable physical presence of a business is going to be something that is likely in the past. We have to be able to run our businesses, run our organizations in a much more agile and mobile way. What role will changing demographics play in the evolution of the workplace? Oh, these are great questions. I love the role of demographics in all of this because this was all happening way before the pandemic. And we have seen demographic shifts happening for some time. Um, number one is around, I would probably say if I'm gonna highlight one, it's age, that the demographics of who is available to work and where and when um, is something that's absolutely shaping the workforce right now. We have the baby boomers finally moving into the retirement. I say finally because they were actually supposed to be moving into retirement about 15 years ago. And because of the, the 2008 recession, that was put on hold for a lot of people who lost money. So we have the baby boomers finally moving. It's a little bit later than we thought. We've got a small generation, Generation X, 
that is just underneath the baby boomer. So X was born roughly 1964 to 1979. And the Xers are just a very small generation worldwide. So what we have is the generation just underneath them called the millennials born roughly 1980 to 1995, another large generation who are very driven, um, very cutting edge in their approach, but they're entering leadership positions an average of 10 years earlier than prior generations because of these demographic shifts and because there are not enough Xers to take over for the boomers. And then finally, you have Generation Z, who are our young people. They are 1996 to 2012. They have entered the professional world. They were pioneering this hybrid learning approach, this I'm gonna ask Google or Siri as opposed to asking my teacher if I wanna learn something. And they're just a lot different and will be very well poised if we allow them to, to make the necessary changes in our organization to be prepared for this new world that we're facing. So I would say there are a lot of demographic changes happening, but I would say that, that the, the age of the people that are available to work is definitely changing. And this is not just in the US, this is a global phenomenon with the generations being roughly the same size in, in most industrialized countries at least. What do you see as the key ingredients of leadership for the workforce of 2030? And how should young workers go about acquiring them? Oh, it's a, I love it. <laughs> I love it, Tanya. And I would have to say that the number one leadership competency is agility, which is probably not a surprising answer, uh, but being able to pivot easily from one thing to another, depending on marketplace requirements and demands, uh, really being free of the, well, this is the way we've always done it. We can't really change that. Uh, this won't work in our culture. Instead of being a naysayer, you have to be someone who's willing to try new things and listen to contrary opinions and really seek out dissenting views, which a lot of people don't like to hear, but the current focus on diversity, inclusion, and equity is well-founded. And part of the reason we need to do that is because if we're just operating in a bubble, we're going to miss a lot of signals. And so being able to really open yourself up to the world around you, not just the people and the circumstances that you're used to. And so learning agility, even if you're an established leader, um, is very important as well. Just being able to tap your rivers of information that are around you. So not necessarily going back to get a four-year degree per se, but to get an additional certification online, to do a job shadow, to look at different ways to acquire skills that perhaps weren't available, to listen to one of the Tech Republic podcasts. And these are all ways that you can upskill yourself to become better and more efficient at your job. And one of the, the things I would also say that's not specifically a leadership skill, it's a skill in general that people need to have, applied technology skills, which leverages using people, processes, data, and devices to doing a job better. And the reason it's important for technical people to know is that other people who aren't technical are going to be moving into the tech space more rapidly. And we've already seen that happening, but it's becoming a more democratic technology environment. And so people who are already focused on technology, you all have to up your game so that you were really bringing some added value to the table that you weren't before. And then the final thing I will say on this topic is I just did some research with DeVry University around what we're calling career durability. And this refers to having the right mix of hard skills, soft skills, those applied technology skills I just talked about, a growth orientation and institutional knowledge. And with this mix, you create your ability to maintain gainful employment over a long, continuous period of time. Because we're gonna see a lot of situations for tech people and non-tech people where you're automated out of certain parts of jobs, where you might have to move from one thing to another, 
and you have the skills to be able to do that. You're not just stuck and what you trained in in school is no longer applicable, it's no longer relevant, so you don't have a job. What we're trying to do is protect people from that. And so I think all young people and even established leaders can really look to the future with an eye on their own individual career durability. That was like three skills, sorry. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us. Alexandra Levitt, managing partner at People Results and author of Humanity Works, Merging Technologies and People for the Workforce of the Future. If somebody wants to connect with you, maybe they want to get a copy of your book, how can they do that? I think my website, alexandralevitt.com, is a great place to start. You can look at a bunch of videos, read about the different books, and please feel free to reach out to me uh, via email or Twitter or LinkedIn if you would like to get in touch because I'm always curious as to what people consider to be important and the issues you'd like me to explore, and especially this is a knowledgeable audience that I'm sure could have a lot to teach me too. Sounds great, thanks again. Thanks, Tanya. And find more of my interviews right here or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.